All right, all right. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Man, we can finally say it. So glad that you guys are here. I want to just extend a special welcome to those that may be joining us for the first time. If you're a guest with us, that's great. Couldn't be a better time to join us as we start this new series called Presence. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I absolutely love, love this time of year. And it's this time of year that reminds me that there's only two people in this life, two kinds of people. There are people who listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and there are people that listen to Christmas music after Thanksgiving. Where are the before Thanksgiving people? Yeah, may you be blessed in everything that you do. I used to be one of the post-Thanksgiving Christmas music listeners, but I have, I have conformed. And uh, now I'm listening to Christmas music ahead of time and before Thanksgiving, because I do, I just love this time of year. So thankful for this time of year. I don't know if it's the gingerbread lattes from Starbucks Maybe driving through the neighborhoods and seeing how everybody's decorated their houses or coming home. If you come over to my house, you'll see my wife decorates our, our home like a winter wonderland. And it just gets me in this childlike spirit. But somewhere along the way, in our attempt to become mature, sophisticated adults, we start to lose our way, don't we? We start to lose this childlike spirit that should be absolutely infused in us, especially this time of year as we approach the birth of our Savior with awe and wonder, but somewhere along the way, we lose it. We lose sight of it. And we get caught up in this performance. Tell me if this sounds like something familiar. We set up our tree and we say a few choice words when another strand of lights has gone out. We decorate outside, we buy the kids presents, go to three Christmas parties, don't forget about the kids' school plays, take family photos, send out Christmas cards, have a big Christmas dinner, watch the movie Elf at least three times, fill up stockings, oh shoot, it is Christmas Eve and I didn't get anything for my spouse. Thank goodness for Walgreens 24-7, gotta get there. Anybody else thankful for those gift bags? where you don't have to wrap presents, you can throw them in there at the last minute, just stuff some colored paper on top of it, and it looks like you thought of it ahead of time. Well, my hope that we'll approach this Christmas season a little differently, and my hope that we'll bring back some of that childlike spirit, I wanna show you the story of Christmas from the perspective of kids. Check this out. came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what? I can't, I can't say it good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. <laughs> and so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. 
literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a stable, and then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel was singing. Glorious. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes. Maybe have to camp out a night. Then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you, and... You're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. <laughs> My home church actually put that together. I think it's got like a million hits or something now online. But hopefully that led you into the Christmas spirit a little bit more. Well, guys, something that. We keep repeating a lot around Trace. Sounds something like this. We want to be a different type of church. We want to push back against the cultural norms of this day, this idea that when we wake up in the, in the morning, every morning, there's this vortex that's trying to suck us into this, this life of busyness and, and chaos. And people are trying to convince us that by being busy and being productive, and being able to multitask actually makes you a more valuable human being. But oftentimes, the opposite is true. And we get caught up in this performance, but here's the good news. God is inviting you out of that performance. He's inviting you out of that rat race. And he's inviting you into his rest. He's inviting you out of the performance, and he wants you to rest in his presence, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Because unfortunately, this idea of a performance has worked its way into the church as well. And we get caught up in what I like to call a spiritual performance, as if we're trying to please or succeed at our faith, when God is saying, this is not something that I called you to succeed or fail at. I called you to be in my presence. So our one thing today, as we digest this together, is going to be this. Our faith is not a performance. It's about being in God's presence. Now, 
To illustrate this a little bit better, I'm going to draw a couple diagrams for you. Some of them are already pre-drawn. Thank you, Corey. Oh, stick it, stick it. There it goes. And so on this diagram, we have just a line graph. Uh, at the top, P, and at the bottom, E. P stands per, for perfection, and E stands for evil. And so really quick, I mean, if we were to think about this, if Jesus, if God is the only one who's perfect, so God's up here, and he, he, he represents perfection, and down here we might put Satan, right? I mean, he represents, embodies this idea of evil. And so somewhere on this graph we start to maybe put other people. Mother Teresa comes to mind, and so maybe we put Mother Teresa up here, right? I mean, she was, she was a pretty awesome lady. And then we think about somebody that could have represented evil, Hitler, first person that comes to my mind. And so down here, we put people like Hitler. And maybe up here, you would think of guys like Billy Graham. I don't know, we put him somewhere around Mother Teresa. So you've got Billy Graham and so on and so forth. But sooner or later, we, we kind of, even subconsciously, we start to put ourselves on a chart like this. And so I, I don't know where I would put myself really, maybe somewhere in the middle and so I would put myself out here, right? Somewhere in the middle. Where would you guys put Corey? <laughs> now, the spiritual thing to do is put him above me. So I'm, of course, going to put him above me because I'm performing today for you. So somewhere right, right there. There we go. Corey, you're right there above me. Right there. So love you, man. But what we do is we, we kind of start to put people where we think they are in this kind of perfection and evil scale. But we also are doing something else at the same time because what we're doing is we're, we're playing this game, this spiritual performance of saying, not good enough. Versus better than. And so... In this game, this performance, the spiritual performance, we look at them and say, man, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, I'm not good enough. Maybe you think of other pastors, people that you respect in the faith, not good enough. But then we look down at Hitler, I'm better than, here's where it gets nasty. We start to find joy in other people's failures because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. I've done it. And so what we do is we kind of look and people make a mistake, do something that they shouldn't do, and maybe we put them a little bit further down. And it's, at least I'm better than that. And we get caught up in this spiritual performance. While we're here, just so we understand, when it comes to our faith, God expects perfection. Did you know that? He actually expects perfection meaning any sin that exists in your life separates you from God, but this is also where good news comes in because God says, listen, I know you're never going to be able to live up to that standard. It's impossible. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory of God, and so God did what he knew he should do. He actually sent, sent us this, his son, his only son. It's what we celebrate in this season. And because of what Christ did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, he defeated death on our behalf, taking on the sin of the world. Now the Spirit of God, when we put our faith in Christ, comes to live inside of us. And when God sees us, he sees his Son. He sees perfection. 
Another interesting thing on a side note, if you're ever in a fight with your spouse, uh, you should draw this graph and actually rate one another. No, don't do that. That would not be a good exercise to go through. Let me also describe it this way. Another way that we get caught up in spiritual performance is we start to think of the things that good Christians do. And sometimes these are things that we would call spiritual disciplines in the church, and so we do things like we pray, right? We, we read our Bible, so I'll just put Bible up here. We go to church, I'll just put church, right? We serve. We also do this thing called fasting. Maybe you don't know what that is. I'll talk about that a little bit later. We fast, we give, among other things. And we look at this and we, we start to play this game. And you don't even know you do this, but I, I promise you, at times, you've either done it or you do it currently. So pay attention, because this is something that all of us have to stop doing. Because when it comes to praying, we often will look at this and it's like, man, I... I don't pray as much as I'm supposed to, F. Man, I know I'm supposed to, I need to be reading my Bible more, I'm F. I don't go to church every Sunday, F. I don't serve as much as I'm supposed to. I don't even know what fasting is. I know God probably wants me to give more, and we just go through this thing, and we, we look at this, and if God gave us these things to do, to see if we su- would succeed or fail at them, we failed. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians and people are walking around with this mindset, this guilt, this shame of feeling like they, they haven't measured up. But friends, this is exactly what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy wants you to think that you haven't succeeded. You might as well give up. Why even come to church at all? You're not a good Christian. And we start to use this what I call spiritual performance language, and we say things like this, I should do those things more. I've tried fasting, but I failed at it. I need to read my Bible more. I know I'm supposed to, go to, to, supposed to give to the church. I don't serve others as much as I want to, and we don't know that we're doing this, but we're using spiritual performance language. And if that's true, that means it's something that you can fail at. And a lot of of us walk around with this idea that we're failing as Christians. This is called spiritual performance. And guys, don't miss this. When we use this kind of language, we're subjecting ourselves to this succeed, fail, or better than, not good enough approach to our faith. And Jesus came and died for you so that you didn't have to perform. I hope you get that this morning. If you don't, we're going to unpack that even more. As we, were, as we were putting this sermon together this week, there's a group of us that work on the sermons. I asked Corey, I said, Man, what's the first thing that comes to mind if our faith is not something that you can succeed or fail at? And I loved his response. He said, it means I can be fearless. And I've been thinking about that. Friends, I want a church. I want to be a part of a church. I want to lead a church that's full of forgiven people that are fearless. And in order for us to get there, we got to stop doing this. we got to stop performing. 
We gotta stop approaching our faith as if it is something that we can succeed or fail at because don't forget our faith, it's not a performance. It's about being in God's presence. One of the things that's really important to me personally in being in the position that I'm in is that I'm always authentic, I'm always real. And if you've been coming for a few weeks, you understand that one of the things I, I try to do up here is confess. Talk to you about the areas where there are shortcomings in my life where I'm not living up to the standard that I would like to live at. And I do that because I don't want to get caught up in a spiritual performance because it happens really quick to pastors. It's really easy for us to get up here and use this platform as a way to sound really smart and impress you. And I could do that if I wanted to. I could talk to you about things that I know about the Bible. But we're, we're so adamant about this not happening that we actually have a document that we look at before we get up here and preach. And one of the things on that document says, is any of this being said to bring glory to me and not Jesus? Because it's not about me. And sometimes pastors, they get caught up in the spiritual rhetoric where they start to say things that they normally wouldn't say because it makes them look good. Sometimes we start to pray and say prayers, and in the midst of those prayers, we start to use big fancy words because we hear, we know there are people listening to that prayer, and we're like, in the, you know, the Shekinah glory, and, and Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals, and Jehovah Jireh, the, the God who provides, and we say those kind of things. And listen to me, I say those kind of things sometimes, and I mean them, but it's easy to start using these big fancy words to impress people. That's a spiritual performance. Maybe you've done this before. Have you ever been praying with somebody and you heard them say something in, the, in your prayer and you made a mental note? It's like, oh, that's good. Hedge of protection, that's good. I'm gonna add that to my prayer life when I start praying from now. Yeah, that's good, that sounds good. Listen to me. God doesn't care about these big words. God doesn't care about you sounding smart in your prayer life. But we do this, don't we? Don't we do this? And I just want to be a different kind of church. I don't want to try to impress anybody. And I don't want you to try to impress anybody. A lot of times, as I've grown in this, because I used to do this a lot more than I, I do now. I used to be caught up in the spiritual performance. I used to hear things that other preachers were saying in their prayers and saying, yeah, I'm going to say that next time I pray, because I want to sound smart. But now my prayers sound more like a struggle. When I'm really praying and I'm praying from my heart, my prayer sounds more like this. God, I, I just need your help. God, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to understand how to lead this church and I'm trying to lead my family and not make sure I don't miss anybody. God, would you, would you help me to become aware of the things that I'm maybe not seeing the way you want me to see? God, would you, would you help me to see if I'm making any of this about myself? Because, Father, I want it all to be about you. My prayers are starting to sound more like a struggle than they are spiritual. And here is where I find rest personally. I don't have to perform for God. And I don't have to perform for you. If you were to follow me throughout my week, you'd probably be a little bit disappointed. Maybe at times a lot disappointed. I don't sit around all day in my office and listen to worship music. I don't walk around and give every bit of money that I have to the poor. I don't sit around all day and memorize scripture. And I do those things. I don't do them as often as I would like. But you'd probably be a little bit disappointed. But here's where I find rest. I'm not doing this to perform for you. And I find rest in a verse like I'm about to read to you. And I want you to find rest in this passage as well this morning. 
Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, don't miss it, has set you free from the law of sin and death. When we see this word law, it goes back to the Old Testament and the rules and regulations. You know there were 613 rules and regulations in the Old Testament that they were expected to keep? 613. I can't even keep all the traffic laws, for goodness sakes. Could I keep 613 rules and regulations? But friends, Jesus has set us free from this. He has set us free from the spiritual performance, this idea that there's a law that we have to abide by. And if we don't, he's up there waiting to see if you fail or not. He didn't didn't come to us. He didn't send his son to us so that we would be tied and chained to this idea of spiritual performance. Here's why he did come to us. John 14, 18 through 20. I will not leave. Pause. Some of you guys just need to, to focus on that one line this morning. Maybe all too often you've had people leave in your life I've experienced some of that. And sometimes it's hard for you to trust somebody else. Maybe it's even hard for you to trust God. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will see, will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and ready for it. And I am in you. My very presence, Jesus' very presence came to be in your life. And he said, I will not leave. But it's possible for us to leave him. Here's why I know that. Let's pick up in John 15, four through five. He says, now remain in me, remain in my presence, remain in me as I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This idea that Christ wants us to remain in him. He wants us to remain in his presence. He wants us to stop performing. Did you catch all of those verses? There's now no condemnation for you. And he sent you his spirit so he could actually live in and through your life. And then he asks us to remain in that presence. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back. Because even though we feel like we failed at these, I'm not going to tell you to leave church today and not do these things. I just want want us to approach them differently. So Why do we pray? Is it something that we succeed or fail at? No. God gave us prayer as a gift. We actually get to be in his presence through prayer. He opened up that line of conversation. You can talk to him anytime you want. You don't have to light any candles. You can just go to him. And he actually wants to speak to you. So we pray so we can be in the presence of God. Why does he want us to read his word? so that we can learn more about the heart of God and how it looks to be in his presence, what his will is for your life, how he wants to live in and through you. He gave us instructions of how he wants to do that. That's why we read the Bible. It's not something that you succeed or fail at. It's something he gives you as a gift. Why do we go to church? Because Aaron told you so. Next, serve. No, I'm just kidding. 
Why do we attend together? Why do we have this gathering? Why do we come together so we can worship? So that we can learn from one another, so that we can carry one another's burdens, so that we can serve together, honor God together, and so we can move forward together. Why do we serve? Not because it's something you succeed or fail at. We serve others because it's not about us. And the quicker that you understand that, the more that you'll start to experience God's presence. I've talked to so many people, this is an interesting one. I've talked to so many people who in their faith, in their life, they've said, man, I feel the closest to God when I'm, when I'm serving. Maybe it was a, a project in the community. Maybe it was a mission trip. Maybe it was serving at church. And it's like, man, I feel so close to God when I'm serving. Well, let's think about that for a second. If Jesus actually came to us, which we've already read and we, we understand that, he came to live in and through us We also know that Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. And so when you are serving others and not just focusing on yourself, it's actually Jesus doing exactly what he wants you to do, what he's trying to do in and through your life, and it makes you feel this connection to God unlike any other time, potentially. And we feel the presence of God. Why do we fast? Now, I'll tell you how I approach fasting. Fasting is when we give up something so that when we think about what we've got given up, it actually brings our attention back to God. A lot of times you'll hear people fast from food. And so if you're fasting from food and you get to that point, point where it's like, man, I really want some food, that immediately reminds you to go to God in prayer. Maybe you fast from coffee. Maybe you fast from the internet. That would be good. And when you think about that, those things, it should draw you into God's presence once again. But here's what happens. Here's another spiritual, and I, this aspect of spiritual performance. Sometimes when we fast, you make it about halfway through the day, you got a splitting headache, and it's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And you just keep pushing forward. And it's like, I got to finish, I got to finish. And as soon as it stops becoming about the presence of God, you should stop. Because God's not up there saying, it's two o'clock, let's see if he makes it to six, right? He said, no, I wanted you to do this just so it would draw you into my presence. And so if at any time it's no longer about me, you didn't fail. I'm glad you made it five hours. Because the reason you do these things is to be in my presence. If it's no longer about my presence, just stop. Go do something else that will honor and serve me. The last one, give. Why do we give? We give for a lot of reasons. Let me talk about this one. We talked about this last week a little bit. But money would probably be the biggest idol in our world. And an idol is anything that we put in front of God, right? And so if we're holding on to money really, really tight because we know it gives us hope and security and well-being and makes us feel comfortable, gives us the things that we want, the reason it becomes an idol is because it does those things and so we hold on to it really tight, but don't miss this. This is not about giving to the church. This is about giving in general. When we let it go, what does that show other people? It shows other people that the presence of God in our life is more important than that. And so now you're showing other people the reality of the presence of God in your life. And what happens when we do these things consistently? Well, you remember that whole idea of fruit? Jesus said he's the vine, that we're the branches, and if we'll stay in him, if we'll remain in his presence, that we'll actually bear much fruit. What does that fruit look like? Well, Paul actually tells us in Galatians 5, 22, 23, and I'm going to read these slowly. And I just want you to think about this, church. As we approach this Christmas season, instead of getting caught up in the rat race and this performance, tell me if these things don't sound better to you. Because the fruits of the Spirit will give you love, joy, peace, anyone? 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I miss one? I wasn't looking. I'll take some of those. And if remaining in God's presence allows those kind of things to come out of my life naturally, I'm in. I'm done performing. I'm done acting like my faith is about something that I can succeed or fail at. I'm ready to remain in the presence of God because we need more of these kind of things in our world, don't we? Guys, as we approach this Christmas season, can we remember that our faith, it's not a performance. It's about being in God's presence. So let me close with this. This whole season is about God's presence. God sent us his only son, Jesus, as a baby. It still blows me away. Even as a pastor, I still don't fully understand it, that he would come to us so innocently. But he did. And friends, when we live in his presence, you may notice, and here it is, when you live in his presence, you may notice that you'll start to become more present for others. And this is where we're going to pick up next week. Let me pray for us. So God, some of these roots of spiritual performance go really deep. Depending on different church backgrounds that we come from and this idea that if we don't do a certain amount of things, if we don't do this, that we fall out of your grace. God, I pray that you help us to understand in whatever way that we individually need to understand that this was never meant to be a performance. This was never meant to be something that we would succeed or fail at. Do you want us to do these things? Absolutely. And I think we've just understood why, because you want us to be drawn into your presence. And the longer that we spend time in your presence, the more that we will start to exude the gifts of your spirit, the fruit of your spirit. And this world needs a lot more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need more of that in our life. And so instead of approaching this Christmas season as a performance and getting caught up in this vortex that's trying to suck us in and convince us that being busier makes us more productive, that being busier makes us more valuable to society. God, would you remove that kind of junk that exists in our life and draw us into your presence. Father, we love you. We invite your presence into this place right now. And we pray this in Christ's name.